baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All right, so as we've been talking about on the Gaines podcast, tensions between Russia and Ukraine, higher inflation, a lot of things leading to market volatility, and we're starting to see stocks slide in a big way. The Dow theory, we often talk about it with Chuck Carlson on the Gaines podcast, has turned bearish. What does that mean? And that begs the question, should we maybe even start shorting stocks? So we're going to talk with Chuck Carlson on the Dow Theory turning negative. And then we're going to bring on Matt Mategan, a regular on the Gains podcast, to talk about how to short stocks outright, how to bet against the market, something that you may take a look at with the Dow Theory turning bearish. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gains. As mentioned, the Dow theory has now turned bearish, and we we got to bring in Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond. Chuck, the Dow theory has gone negative. Uh, that's you know off of the close today. Explain exactly what happened, where we're at. Well, we had a close in the Dow Jones Industrial Average below thirty four. 022.04. So 3402.04. That was the December low and the previous significant low point. Now the Dow theory looks at the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation averages and from the movement of those averages discerns whether the market's primary trend, the trend that typically lasts at a minimum six to eight months uh, and sometimes a lot longer, whether that primary trend is bullish or bearish. Now the Dow Jones Transportation Average had gone to new important lows in January, but that had not been confirmed by a similar move by the Dow Jones Industrial Average to new lows. And you need both of those averages confirming one another in direction in order to generate a signal under the Dow theory. Well, while the the industrials were game for about three or four weeks, they finally kind of gave up the ghost today uh, with the Dow Industrials closing below that previous important low. Uh, you also did get fresh new lows in both the Dow Jones transportation average as well as the, the S&P 500, which is not part of classic Dow theory analysis, but is nevertheless an important barometer for the market and, and one that folks follow. So long and the short of it is you've had you know, lower lows by three prominent indices. And from a Dow theory perspective, that does trigger a trend in the, uh, a trend change from bullish to bearish. It's broken through. Now what do you do? Do you immediately move on this? I mean, it's, do you dollar cost into this? I've, you know, the Dow theory isn't really bearish too often. So I've been waiting for a while for it to turn bearish. What's the play? I mean, how do you handle it now? Yeah, and part of it really depends on the type of investor you are. And, and uh, that's not a cop-out. It's, it's basically, listen, if you're somebody who's a long-term investor and you're, you know, you're 35 and you have a 401k plan and you've got 35 years of investing ahead of you. What you don't want to do is get into a 
an aggressive market timing game with your investments because you know if if you're kind of an all or nothing market timer and you're all in and then the Dow theory flashes a sell signal and you're all out um there, there it puts a tremendous amount of pressure to to successfully re-enter the market because my experience has been Andy that once people pull all their money out of the market, they're very reticent about going back in. Consequently, they miss the inevitable upturn, uh, and then they're out of the market for a long period of time. And, you know, I've always maintained the biggest risk of investing is not being in the market when it goes down, but being out of the market when it goes up. Now, having said that, if you are a, a, a trader, uh, you you may want to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of taking your chips off the table and, and uh, perhaps playing the downside if you're you have akin to doing that from a risk perspective. If you are somebody who has more of a long-term focus, you know, my, our point is if you want to take a few chips off the table, that's fine. Now, what's a few chips? Well, let's say you were 100% invested in stocks, you know, dropping that down to 80%. So you still have a healthy exposure to stocks, but A, you've raised funds that you can use to upgrade portfolios, and B, that raised cash will cushion, won't eliminate, but it will cushion the downside blow a little bit. And it leaves you then still in a position where you're not solely relying on getting all of your money back into the market when the market turn happens, because you're not going to do that. You're not going to do it successfully. So, you know, stay with your best investment ideas, raise some cash by trimming your more speculative holdings, perhaps your, your overweights positions, perhaps some of those stocks that, and we all have them in a portfolio. You don't know how they got in there in the first place. Right. It's like, why do I have this thing? Well, it's time to get rid of it. Raise some cash, and you're going to have that cash ready here to take advantage, and this is really important, of opportunities that occur during bear markets where you have really quality merchandise coming down uh, along with the bad stuff. And, you know, this is when long-term investors make their money. It's how well are you going to stay engaged and how well are you going to be able to upgrade your portfolio. Uh, When the Dow theory, uh, Chuck, turns negative, are you, for the day trader, somebody who's a little bit more like the gains listener, can you? I mean, is it good advice, especially here, to maybe take advantage of a little bit of downside that could potentially be and maybe sh- short the market a little bit? We're going to talk about that in a in a minute with Matt Matigan, but uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, sure, you can you can do that. I think you, you always need, when you're doing that, to control the, the risk side of the equation. Um, but if somebody, you know, th- this is certainly a better time to employ those strategies tomorrow than it was today because you've had a significant change in the primary trend under the Dow theory. Now, the Dow theory can be wrong. I mean, it's not foolproof. No no market tool is. Um, and you need to kind of be aware of that, and you also need to reflect that in how aggressive you want to be on the short side. But certainly, you know, the, based on, you know, the, the primary trend now turning bearish, um, you would expect a downturn in the market uh, at least in the near term. Now, it's it's not going to be straight down. I mean, it's not like markets go straight up. There's periods in there where you have rallies and then um, declines. And But what you'll probably see, at least initially, is a series of, you know, uh, lower highs and, and lower lows. And, uh, and And that's when you know, quite frankly, when the bear markets are stopping is when you start to see, um, uh, you know, uh, lows stop making lower lows and you start seeing intermediate higher highs. And again, we're, we're probably well away from that. Um, but the, the, the other thing I will point out is that you would mention, you know, should you do something pretty immediately? 
My guess would be yes. And the reason for that is, you know, you and I have talked about this. There's been significant time compression in the market here, especially when it comes to bear markets. When you look at the last few bear markets, they've been pretty ugly, but they've been pretty brief. And so, you know, if that doesn't mean this one has to be that way. And some might argue that, well, you know, Chuck, we've got some interesting things here that we haven't had in previous bear markets, such as, you know, surging inflation, uh, which is a big differentiator. And maybe this one is going to last a bit longer. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, the last few have have they've been pretty aggressive, but they've also been pretty short lived. So, you know, if you are going to try to work something on on the downside, I think I would do that sooner rather than later, um, and is just my opinion. I mean, beyond just shorting the markets, uh, a full disclosure, I've had some dry powder, as we say, uh, that I built up, uh, definitely been licking my chops for the Dow theory to kind of turn so I could get some really good deals. You know, I always like buying stocks on sale. How do you handle that? How long do these typically go? Do you wait until there's a clear sign that it moves higher? Or do you hold your nose and just start buying quality stuff into this uh, decline? Yeah, I think I think you, you you on the buy side, I think you take it one stock at a time, and and uh, knowing that it's unlikely that you will buy at a low, but um, at the at the low point. But you know, if it's a stock that you have uh, really, really wanted to own, and it's now backed off 20%. Um, you know, you take a look at it. My guess is, you know, aggressively buying right now is probably early. Um, so I'm not sure I would be, um, you know, rushing to to buy. If I was doing buying, I would be doing simultaneously. I would be selling as well. So I wasn't necessarily boosting my overall equity exposure, and I was you know, upgrading. So I was getting out of a lesser position and getting into a fresher one, um, as opposed to doing net ads. Uh, you could, you could, you know, you're never going to know when the exact bottom is. And, you know, that could be, it could be in a week, it could be in a month. Um, you know, maybe we're going to get something that parallels like the two early two thousands. And there are some parallels to be drawn from that. You had, you know, back in 99, 2000, you had the tech blow off, with all the crazy tech stocks that blew up, you're seeing a similar blow off now in speculative stocks. Um, well, you've seen that in speculative stocks and SPACs and things like that. Then, and, and then 9/11 happened, so you had this massive exogenous event. And, and while I'm not necessarily comparing in terms of scope and what happened on 9/11 versus what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia, it is an exogenous event that that could trigger more more problem. And if you remember what happened back then. You know the markets were kind of kind of crappy for a couple of years, and then though when they did bottom, and I believe 2003, then you had a you had a five-year run that was really really quite nice. So you know perhaps we're in that period. If that's the case, something similar to that, then you're going to have plenty of time to buy stocks, and my guess is stocks are going to get cheaper from here. So a little patience isn't necessarily going to be a bad thing. You know, as we're wrapping up uh, this portion of the Gains podcast, uh, talking about the Dow theory. Uh, turning bearish what are the new levels that we've established today chuck well there are new 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 levels and that's the point you kind of wipe out everything when you have a trend a primary trend change so okay. so what will happen now is we will establish a a fresh low points 
in the Dow Jones Industrial Average in terms of where those low points are, and then you will at some point have a rally off of those low points, and pretty significant rally, one that's at least you know a three percent to a five percent rally off those low points, and then from a Dow Theory perspective, you wait and see how does the market respond after those rallies. Do, do the rallies uh, after the rallies in the industrials and transports? Do we go back down and hold those previous lows? Or do we go back down and, and go through them and make lower lows? And, and you need, you know, the first step in, uh, you know, shifting back to bull from bear is, you know, establishing the lows, seeing how aggressive the rally is, and then seeing if those lows hold, and then if the market rebounds back above the, the previous rally highs. So things have to happen, and, and that's one of the strengths of the Dow theory, I think, is that, you know, you're not, you typically don't get whipsawed that confirmations of significant primary market changes, they take some time and they take a series of confirmations. And so, you know, we're kind of at the beginning of that right now. But again, I will caution that um, it doesn't have to be this way, but, you know, we've had some pretty short bear markets. They've, they've bitten pretty hard, but they've been pretty short and, and hopefully we'll see something along those lines now. But again, uh, we'll have to wait and see. That's Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond. Uh, Chuck is also author of Winning with the Dow's Losers. And there's one other thing real quick before I let you go, Chuck. Give us that website that's always good for the gains listeners. Yeah, that's a newsletter that uh, our publishing arm publishes called Upside. And you can get information and take out a free 30-day trial at the website UpsideStocks.com. Upsidestocks.com. So let's turn our attention to shorting stocks, betting against the market. And let's bring on, as mentioned, Matt Matigan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers here in Chicago. And be sure to check out Matt's blog at blueworldam.com. Glad to have you on the Gains Podcast and talking about shorting stocks. Well, you know, I'm always flattered when you invite me and you know, you having asked me to give some thought uh, as time goes by to some topics that that might be valuable to the gains listener. And so I started thinking about what are some of the most common questions that I field. And one that popped up immediately was the whole concept of short selling. We live primarily in a long only mentality world before we get any further and that that's an important distinction right off the bat i know a, a lot of us already know these terms but i want you to hit on it real quick you know when we're talking about short selling let's first of all explain most of us we buy stocks we go long so explain before we even get into shorting something and going short on on a stock or an investment Lay out real quick, what is a long? That's what we always do. You know, buy a stock, look for it to go higher. That's going long. Explain that, and then we'll get into the shorts. Sure. You go into your portfolio, and it happens to be a day where you think ABC is going to make a move, okay? And you look in your portfolio, and you see you don't have any ABC. You could enter an order to buy 100 shares. And if you purchase, if that order goes through, and let's assume it's a market order, so you get filled immediately, you now look at your portfolio and it shows 
ABC 100 shares, you are long 100 shares. So when you buy, when you had zero and you buy, or you had some and you buy more, that's going long. The opposite of that is going short, in which case you look in your portfolio, you think ABC is primed not for a rise, but for a drop. The newbies would be like, okay, well, you bought it at 50. It's now 100. We don't think it's going to go higher. It's going to drop. Well, Matt, why wouldn't we just we'll sell the stock? And, and you can do that and post a profit. But there's another thing, and Matt, explain. Okay, so you go back, you look at your portfolio, you do not own any ABC at all, but you think that it's prime to fall. So you don't enter an order to buy 100 shares and go long. You enter an order to sell 100 shares and go short. Now what you see when you look at your portfolio is you're going to see ABC minus 100, a minus sign followed by 100, that shows that you are now short 100 shares. So going long, you own it. Going short, you sell it without owning it. And therein lies the confusion. That's where people really have a tough time getting their arms around the concept of selling something you don't own. And and that's the part we're going to talk about today of how to demystify that. Most people who get into stocks, their initial move is to buy stocks that they find at a good price and then hold it with the hopes of selling it at a higher price. If you currently own, own a stock and it moves to a higher price, you could sell it, you could make a profit. The one thing that kind of explained it to me, when you short something, you're basically selling it at the price that day with the hopes that those shares are going to go down because at some point you will have to buy those back. So that's just kind of a a real primer. So kind of pick up off of that. Okay. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue uh, because when I'm teaching this, uh, you know, be it on a zoom class or a live, live seminar, whatever it is, the first thing I establish is, the way we make money on stocks, we buy low, we sell high, right? Everybody knows that. That's the key. We buy low, sell high. Short selling is no different. You're still buying low and selling high. The beauty is you're just doing it in reverse. You're selling high before you buy low. So the first thing to understand on your way to understanding short selling and being comfortable with short selling is to understand margin. Most people out there understand margin, but for those who don't, margin, if you have a margin account, and it's worth noting not all accounts are marginable, uh, certain IRAs are not marginable, but if you have just a regular investment account online, you can set it up for a margin account. What margin allows you to do is use the assets in your account as collateral to borrow money. Now, I'm just using the rules of thumb here. There are exceptions to the rule, but just to keep it simple, the general rule of thumb is you can borrow up to double the value of your account from your broker to buy more stock than you could otherwise afford. So if you wanted to buy 
100 shares. Go ahead. Real quick, for those who aren't familiar with margin, it's almost like taking a loan. Explain that real quick so the Gaines listener understands what margin is. It's like taking a loan to buy. And and that's, that's exactly what it is. You are borrowing money from your broker. So if you have an account that stocks and cash, let's arbitrarily, let's just say you have an account that's worth $5,000. Net liquidating value that day is $5,000. You can borrow up to $5,000 more from your broker. So if you wanted to buy 100 shares of a $50 stock, you could spend $5,000 and buy that 100 shares. You could also go into your margin account and borrow another $5,000 and buy 200 shares, half of the money you used isn't your money. You borrowed it from the broker. Okay. So margin is simply nothing more than your ability to borrow cash from your broker in order to buy more stock than you could afford on your own based on your own account value. So it is just that it's pure and simple. It's a loan. All right. And, you know, at some point, you're going to have to pay that loan back with a little interest. So the, that's, the first, that, that's the first part in understanding short selling. You have to have a margin account. You have to have the ability to borrow from your broker. So the concept of short selling, and again, this is the part everybody has trouble getting their arms around. How do I sell something I don't own? Well, we do it all the time. And my favorite example is Girl Scout cookies. Very so, nice. Very nice. That's a, I, I know where you're going with it. It's a very, very good example. Go ahead. I'm, I, I think it is. I think it is. And, and people get it when, when I explain it this way. So you're sitting at home. You're sitting on the couch. You're watching TV. The doorbell rings. There's a Girl Scout at the door. And she sells you a box of cookies. Let's say that cookie, you you pay the Girl Scout $10 for that box of cookies. Now, the Girl Scout who sold you the cookies does not own them. The Girl Scouts of America organization owns the cookies. The Girl Scout borrowed the cookies from the Girl Scouts of America. She sold them to you for $10. She turns around and pays the Girl Scouts of America organization $7, and she keeps the $3 profit for her troop. She just sold you something you didn't own. What she did is she literally sold short a box of Girl Scout cookies. She bought low at 7 She sold high at 10 and, and one thing I want to make w- one thing I wanted to point out in that purchase, she sold, even though she know knowingly, you know, was going to go back and go to the Girl Scouts of America and pay what seven bucks a box. At the time of the initial transaction, she sold those Girl Scout cookies for ten. Correct. And and so at the time of the transaction, she sold it at ten, knowing that in the future. That she, later on, you know, later on in the day or when she had to settle with the Girl Scouts of America, that she's buying those in the future at a later date for seven. 
and that's the profit margin. Now, real quick, the most important part of this discussion, and I love the example, uh, what kind of uh, Girl Scout cookies are they selling at your house at the time of that initial transaction? Oh, I don't know. I don't eat Girl Scout cookies, so I never buy more than 37,000 boxes of Samoans at any given time. That's mine, too. That is mine, too. (laughs) Maybe a couple Thin Mints that I throw in the freezer for, you know, when I have a hankering for it. But the Samoas is the only way to go, and I just, I load up on that. I I just load. in a green box, man. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, uh, you know, I had to throw that in there. But that's actually a great example. And, you know, uh, instead of Girl Scout cookies, you know, and you could do this for a number of investments, too. That's an important point. Um, Well, yeah, and I I, I was going to talk about those, too, because, uh, you know, there is a difference. Here we're specifically talking about stock. When we get in options and futures, it's different, but it is just as simple. And the answer to that question that somebody, you know, how do I sell a stock I don't own? Well, the same way the Girl Scout sells cookies she doesn't own. She borrowed it from the Girl Scouts of America. We already said that margin means you can borrow cash to buy more stock. You can also borrow stock to make more cash. So when you sell a stock short, all you're doing is being a Girl Scout. You are borrowing it from your broker who has their own inventory of that stock. You're selling it at a higher price, and you're hoping to buy it back at a lower price, and the difference is your profit. You still bought low and sold high. The difference is you sold it high first and bought it back later. You're a Girl Scout. You sold a box of cookies for 10. Then you turned around and bought them for seven at a later date. The difference is your profit. It is still buying low. It is still selling high. You just did it in the reverse order. And what we're going to do, we we got to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back on the other side of the break. So you're going to get a pen and paper. And we are going to uh, lay this out step by step. We'll, we'll, we'll do that when we get back from the, the break. Hey, uh, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If that's an option for you, that is Podcast Gold. Would uh, really appreciate it if if that's an option. And then, as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. Uh, We drop gains episodes on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. We will be right back and continue the conversation on uh, shorting stocks right after uh, this break. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, back with Matt Matigan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers here in Chicago. 
Be sure to check out Matt's blog at blueworldam.com. As we were heading into break, um, I mentioned that we're going to use ABC, an imaginary company, ABC Corp. And it's currently selling for $10 a share today. Um, so, Matt, with that you know, being said, we got ABC Corp. We don't, ha- we don't have it in our portfolio. Uh, it's selling for $10 a share. We, we think that ABC Corp's competitor is going to eat their lunch. And that ABC Corp, you know, we look at the chart and we we're, we're, we see ABC Corp being lower in the future. So kind of take it, let's just say that, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, yeah, we see ABC Corp being lower than it is right now. So that's where you step in, Matt. Uh, we've eyed ABC Corp. It's $10 a share. We think it's going to be like 7 bucks a share sometime in the next six months. How do we short that? Step by step. Okay, I, I like the idea. Let's let's actually do it both ways, which is four different scenarios. Okay. And nobody will need pen and paper for the first one. You're looking, you, you look at your portfolio, you do not have any ABC at all, and you think ABC has a good shot at rising. So you go into the open market, you buy arbitrarily you buy a hundred shares of abc at ten dollars a share you are proven right over the course of time abc goes from 10 to 15 and you sell so you bought at 10 you sold at 15 you pocketed a 50 dollar profit correct right 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 return right okay if things don't go your way, you buy ten share. You you buy a hundred shares at ten. The stock goes from ten down to five, and you say, "Okay, I'm giving up on ABC." And you sell your hundred shares at five, and you realize a fifty percent loss. Right. Right. Correct. Okay. Now let's flip it around. You look at ABC, you think that a competitor is about to eat their lunch, uh, you think they're going down. So you don't buy 100 shares at 10, you borrow 100 shares at 10 from your broker and you sell them for $10 a share. If things go against you, and the stock rises to 15, well, you're going to go into the open market. You're going to buy at 15. So you sold it, or you sold them at 10. They went up to 15. You now have that same five-point loss. There is a time frame often associated with this, too. And you can maybe kind of build that in there. There's, yeah, we'll get into Yeah, yeah. I mean, because at some point... You know, if if you are borrowing shares at some point, you're going to have to pay for them. Um, so, right. And there there's a time thing. So go ahead, continue. If things don't go your way, you sell at 10, you were wrong, the stock shoots up to 15. Well, now you have to buy at 15 and you already sold at 10. So now you have a five-point loss. 
On the other hand, if you were right, you borrow the shares at 10, you're correct, the stock drops to five, now you buy the shares back at five. Well, you bought at five after you sold at 10, and that five-point spread is the exact same five-point profit that you would have had had you been long and bought at 10 and it went to 15. So when you're long, you want the stock to rise. When you're short, you're betting the stock will fall. And and to be able to profit on both stocks going higher and lower is a very, very valuable thing. And and one thing I want to just note, we have a lot of Robinhood users out there, eToro, uh, Weeble, you know, uh, one thing to make note, uh, when you open a Robinhood account, you're going to have to, there's another step to be able to have action or, or to be able to have access to margin. So there is, uh, you know, when you have a basic account, they're designed, especially like uh, Robinhood, they're, you know, turnkey and designed for people to get in and start buying stocks. It, you know, Matt mentioned the margin and, and that kind of thing and shorting there is another level to that because because with margin you you are borrowing money or shares or or whatever and you're borrowing value so there is another layer to that um so just make note of that yeah and and i wanted to cover that uh that specifically uh, because we need to talk about the unique risks of buying and selling on margin and buying and selling short. When you, first of all, when you borrow money from your broker, and when I say money, I'll say assets, because whether it's cash or stock, the broker is going, They and, and all the brokerages have a different threshold and different stocks and vehicles you know, for which they set these limits, but if that trade, if that short trade moves against you, eventually your broker is going to lose patience with you. <laughs> and usually the threshold is right around 75%. So right. if you borrowed stock from them and sold it, and it moves more than 25% against you, your broker is never, ever going to share in your losses. You're going to get, and a lot of people have heard this. Term, oh, yeah. Know we know what it is. Starts with an yeah, M. Go ahead. It does start with an M, <laughs> and it ends with a, oh. uh, a diminution <laughs> of your bank account. Right. <laughs> the, the, the dreaded word, the dreaded phrase, margin oh, call. Margin call. And, and when you get that margin call, uh, you really have uh, two choices. The margin call is going to say either send more cash to bring your margin balance back up above our threshold or sell your stock and or buy your stock back and take your losses. So if you bought at 10, it shoots up to 20. You get that margin call. Uh, you know, you're, you're essentially $1,000 underwater here, and of that, half that money is your broker's based on the loan of the stock. You're going to sell the stock 
or I'm sorry, you're going to buy the stock back, give it back to the broker, and the difference in the loss is yours. All and right? that's, so that's point. Well, I, and the one important point to make about margin call or calls is this is an example of where you can lose more money than you initially put up as well. So that's just an important point to make there. So there, you know, when you do margin, you know, in the risk of margin calls, there is a a lot different degree of risk. Um, and and I want you to pick up there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and again, the the perfect segue because uh, a very very unique risk associated with short selling. If you go long. 100 shares at $10 a share, your maximum potential loss is $1,000. You're long the stock. If, if you spend $1,000 to buy 100 shares at 10, you have $1,000 invested. You have $1,000 at risk. If the stock goes to zero, you're out 1000 bucks. That's your maximum exposure. What I want the gains listeners to understand is that if you sell a hundred shares short, if you sell one share short, if you sell a million shares short, your maximum risk is infinite. Yes. Because how high is up? Now you're going to get a margin call before that stock rises to infinity. But if it's one of those wild, wacky things where something weird happens, the short news squeeze comes, out, comes to mind. A short squeeze comes to mind. You know where, Boom. and and that's that's where it can get very, very dangerous because there. You know, when it goes to zero, you can't go below zero. But on the upside, it's infinite, and and you've touched on that. Yes, and and that is extremely important. No. Now, as we start to, uh, so we've covered what is margin. It's your ability to borrow from your broker. Well, what can you borrow from your broker? You can borrow cash or you can borrow stock. You borrow cash to buy more stock. You borrow stock to make more cash. So that, you know, it's all a, a very neat, tidy little arrangement. If you recall, now I'm going to circle this back to the whole, uh, you know, how to use options to limit risk. Right, right. We we talked about that in in a previous uh, gains uh, episode, which you you may check back because this ties really nice with that uh, episode we did earlier. Um, just go back. Uh, I don't know what it's been, maybe two months. But if you go back uh, and look at gains episodes, we Matt and I did a, a gains episode on options. That's a must listen to since since we're talking about this. So so if you haven't listened to that, you know after listening to this episode, go back and check the options thing. Go go ahead, Matt. Yeah, and and I'll echo that. Please do go back and check that because in that episode. One of the things we described, uh, you know, options have the reputation of being very risky. What we described is how you use options, how you can use options to absolutely limit risk. If we are advocating now, just to review, a put is the right to sell 100 shares of stock for a predetermined price for a predetermined amount of time. And a call is the right to buy 100 shares of stock for a predetermined price for a predetermined amount of time. 
So if you buy that stock, 100 shares of stock at $10 a share, and you pay $100 to buy a put with a strike price of $10 a share, well, you have $1,000 invested, but you only have $100 at risk because even if the stock drops to zero, that put gives you the right to sell your 100 shares at 100. Right, okay? right. So uh, we talked about how you can use the put as insurance against catastrophic loss in your long positions. Now, if we advocate the use of puts as insurance against long positions where your ultimate risk is defined, we sure as heck are going to advocate the use of options to limit your risk when it is otherwise unlimited, right? Right. So if you buy a put to limit your risk on a long position, you're going to buy a call to limit your risk on a short position. And that's how you can, that's how you can manage the risk of shorting a stock that you think is going down, but eliminate the possibility of the unlimited risk and stay out of the margin call if the thing moves against you. Now, there is one other way that's not quite as complicated that you can use some tools to make money when indexes go down. And and what comes to mind is the pro shares that are shorts. These are ETFs. Like, for instance, we talked about how the Dow has uh, turned negative. The Dow theory, that is. The Dow theory has turned negative. Um, if I want to short, and this, you buy these like a stock. This is a little different. So this is a little more turnkey for those newbies and Robin Hood, and, and they just want to maybe bet against the market. You know, ProShares has ETFs, exchange-traded funds, DOG, D-O-G is the ticker. That's the Dow short. Uh, there's an S&P short, SPXU, that um, you make money. The, the, the ETF goes higher as the S&P drops. Same with the Dow short, that D-O-G. The D-O-G goes higher as the Dow goes lower. And you can also get these where they're, I call them double or triple baggers, where it's two or three times the exposure. Matt, do you ever use those at all uh, to short a market? I know that's it's a, a very simplified way, and and um, sometimes that's turnkey and a little easier for people who are new to this. Your thoughts on that? Uh, yes. I, as a matter of fact, I do. And like you said, it, the whole idea uh, behind the inverse ETF is it, it, when we're talking about the basic inverse ETF, if the S&P drops by 1% on a given day, the inverse ETF that tracks the S&P 500 goes up by 1% on a given day. So if on a given day you have the general sense that the market in total is going to fall out of bed, you can simply go long the inverse ETF. Now, it's much easier for people to get their arms around that because you just go in and buy, you know, five shares, 10 shares, 100 shares, whatever it is, just like any normal shares. But you need to understand 
that the underlying assets in that are short positions. Right, right. And that's how they move opposite the direction. So, uh, and I know you were trying to keep that part simple, but just to make this, you know, hopefully a little sexier, uh, what I do is uh, there, there is a particular ETF, VIXY, Oh, it yeah. goes up when the VIX goes up. The VIX goes up when the market goes down. This is a tool that is designed to lose value. So what I do, I keep, uh, you know, and I just, it's a real, you know, kind of loose ratio where uh, if there's a catastrophic drop in the S&P on any given day, the VIXI provides buoyancy. Uh, you know, to my other positions. So if the rest of the portfolio is down, say, $100, maybe Vixie is up $75, and you really kind of blunt that force. And, right? and just real quick, that VIX that he's talking about is a volatility index. And and that is a great tool. And I'm sure that if Gaines, um, the list, Gaines listener isn't familiar, they've probably certainly heard the term. So just kind of explain the role of, of that volatility index, Matt. Okay, yeah. W- without going into the nuts and bolts, which, like most of this stuff is right. There's a lot of words here, but in the end, the the concepts are very simple. It's just a matter of getting comfortable with the words, and and the VIX is no different. The VIX responds to market volatility. So, and, and it is tied directly to the performance of the S&P 500. And when I say the performance, I mean the options premiums levels in the S&P 500 stocks. So, on any given day, if volatility is rising, it means the market is falling. If the market is falling, it means the VIX is rising. And a lot of investors use the VIX as a barometer for whether or not to be long or short the market, depending on what its level is. And that's, you know, another tool. So, I mean, there's a, a lot of the gains listeners, I'm sure they're, they're familiar with. You'll buy stock and it moves higher. But this is a way you can still make money in a down market. And you can either do it by shorting stocks outright, like we've talked about the bulk of this, or using these exchange-traded funds, these tools, these inverses. Now, uh, one other question uh, for you, Matt, is when you use these, do you just go straight, or do you use them where it's two times or three times, you know, a double bagger, a triple bagger? Explain that. These ETFs, there's some that will give you, you mentioned, single, single exposure, but then there's also double exposure or even triple. So, for example, if you're shorting the uh, Dow, just as an example here, if you're shorting the Dow, a Dow short, which I mentioned, ticker DOG, D-O-G, that's if, you know, if the Dow moves 1% down, that ETF will move 1% higher, you know, roughly. And then, uh, but then you have the option where, as I mentioned, two times or three times the exposure, where if you have a, let's just use the Dow again, a Dow ETF, a Dow short ETF, say that Dow goes down a percent, the Dow short ETF times three actually is up 
3%. So do you, do you ever use uh, double or triple baggers when, you, when you're using these tools as well? I do. However, uh, we got to throw a bunch of caveats in here. Fair enough. Uh, the, the thing about the ETFs, even the single ETFs, Unlike the indexes, uh, if you were to buy the spiders, for example, that is an exact 10% replica of what the uh, S&P does on any given day, the inverse ETFs have to reset to zero at the beginning of the next trading day. So what that means is, if it, first of all, it's a mathematical computation so the math isn't always perfect. If the S&P goes up by 1%, the uh, inverse ETF might drop by one or one and a quarter percent. But then the next day, it has to reset to zero. And now if the S&P goes up another 2%, that ETF might now drop two and three quarters percent, which is added to, it's kind of like bowling. Uh, it, it gets added to the loss of the prior day. So you can have what is called a compounding loss. Okay? Yes. That those losses compile up. So it's very important to understand this about the inverses. So that that when, explains when the to deteriorate these, these ETFs, especially you, you mentioned just the straight, you know, one, it's, it gets worse the more it's leverage, a two or three bagger. Um, there is deterioration. It, that that explains why, for the deterioration of price. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Correct. That that's why that's why the inverse vehicles, uh, whether it's a one, a one to one, or whether it's a three to one. Now, how does it move three to one? Well, simple. They're highly leveraged. They're borrowing money in stock to get into right. these positions too. Uh, they are typically the tool of day traders. Yes, it, okay, the deterioration can really impact you over time. I've even seen situations where if you look at a market over the long haul, uh, you would be like, well, it's it's down 10%, and it's a triple bagger. That person should have made 30 and they didn't even make money on the trade because the way it closed in the intraday trading. It, just explain that real quick. That's an important point. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the compounding effect we're talking about because, again, whereas the S&P or the Dow or the NASDAQ, I would, would you know, there are, there are one, one to one to four to one to I've even seen now five to one vehicles okay. uh, that are out there. The underlying index that they trade against floats. A 1% drop today means a 1% open in the morning, all things being equal. All of these have to reset to zero every day. So a 1% loss today plus a 2% loss tomorrow can be a 4% loss by the end of the week. Right. Because it, think of it like bowling. If, if you roll the ball and you knock down nine pins 10 frames in a row and never get a spare, you've got a 90, correct? Right, right. If, on the other hand, you roll 10, you, you roll, uh, 10 frames and you knock down nine pins plus one pin on all of those 10 frames, you're north of 200. Right, right. That's, that's a, a good way of explaining it, actually. 
Okay, so it works the same way with the inverse ETFs, and that's why they are typically in the domain. They're typically in the domain of a day trader. As a matter of fact, if you were to go in and purchase the VIXY, for example, which is the equivalent of the SPY, the VIXY is to the VIX what the SPY is to the S&P 500 index. Right, right. If you were to go in and buy that and you hold that position overnight, you're going to have a message waiting for you when the screen, you know, when you turn your screen on in the morning that says, hey, you better damn well know what you're doing because day traders do this. You're not supposed to hold these. Right. Now, now. Short-term vehicles they're used for. Right. All that said, I have held a multi-hundred share position in Vixie forever. I use it as a hedge. If Knowing me as you do, how do you think I combat the concept of the diminishing return, of the compounding loss, having held it for many years? Oh, you're covering it with your option play. Absolutely. I'm selling covered calls against the position. Right. Now, I, 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 now, that's a, a that great strategy. The, I think they implement it uh, at even, you know, there's even ETFs or companies that implement that. But go ahead. Go ahead. That's that's a great strategy. Explain. It, it is a great strategy, but I offer it for entertainment value. <laughs> as all of no this, uh, as all of this, there's a lot of entertainment value. We do talk uh, on the gains episodes a little bit more than uh, your, your uh, let's say, conservative investor. So, uh, so that kind of goes with the territory here. Right. All I, I, and, and this is the thing that we've talked about with regard to gains. We're not sitting here giving advice or advocating that people just run right out and start using these vehicles. What I want to do, what, what you said you want to do, I just want to make people more aware of the additional tools available that they can go out and research and study, learn more about, call you, call me, send me an email, whatever it is, however you want to do it. But there are 10 million opportunities uh, out there from podcasts to YouTube to, to live events that talk about these things. I just want to bring awareness so that people can be more than just one-dimensional investors. And I think that's a good place to kind of finish today's gains episode. You know, we've gotten your your beak wet, so to speak, and, and we covered some of the basics here. And that doesn't mean you go out and just all of a sudden start shorting stocks, but this is just to get the basic uh, concept across. And we're going to talk about this more as, as we continue this gains path. Um, Matt, as we wrap up the, uh, today's gains episode, you know, we always, you know, say you're CEO of blue world asset managers here in Chicago, and you got a great blog, blueworldam.com. Any other, uh, resources, any other parting shots as we wrap up today's, uh, episode? Well, as usual, I want to make myself completely available uh, for questions, comments, concerns, any of that stuff. M. Matigan at blueworldam.com. But outside of that, I I can say with direct insider knowledge, 
listening to the games episodes one after the other. It is financial education at warp speed. And we go beyond just, hey, buy this stock, buy that stock. And as we had mentioned before, uh, Matt and I did that options thing. That was a pretty popular piece. And I think it explained options. A lot of people are kind of weary of in a very uh, concise and simple way. So hopefully we did that with shorting a little bit here. Uh, anything else as, as Russia and Ukraine are kind of getting into it and, uh, and, and markets being uh, there of a, a, a high degree of volatility, any other final parting shots? I don't care how you get the defense on the field. If you're doing this through a broker, talk to your broker about how they're going to put the defense on the field. Uh, if you're doing this yourself, explore the vehicles that we've talked about. And by all means, if you have questions, get hold of us. Yeah, and, and, and you often uh, share your email, Matt. Uh, throw that out there real quick. M-M, so that's Mary Mary. M-M-A-T-I-G-I-A-N as in Nancy, at Blue World. AM.com. So the color blue world, applemary.com. And I'm going to actually throw my email out there as well. I, I don't think I have on, on the Gaines podcast. If you have any other questions uh, for me as well, uh, you can contact me at Andy.Gersher. That's G I E R S H E R. Andy.Gersher at Odyssey.com. That's A U D A C Y. That's our parent company. Dot com. So andy.gersher at odyssey.com. Email him late. Yeah, there you go. That's a, I appreciate that, Matt. All right, so what? that's going to wrap up today's podcast. Hey, as always, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. And we are back on Thursday. Look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 